This morning I'm going to share on the value of being a people who are led by the Spirit of God. And I think the focus is going to be a bit on the role of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. And I want to encourage you even now to open your hearts to the Holy Spirit and to the work of God as we look at His Word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are gathered here because we want to know you, because you've called us, because you saved us, because you invite us to draw near to you through the blood of Jesus. And so today, God, I ask that you administer to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. I've always found it interesting how um, if, you, if you read in the book of Acts and you see how the early church is growing and developing, there was a situation where people were getting saved and they weren't particularly aware of the Holy Spirit at all. And the apostles made it their aim to lay hands on those new believers and see that they were uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And whether you're somebody who believes in one or two experiences in terms of the Holy Spirit, whether you believe you're, you're filled from salvation or whether there's a, a second baptism in the Holy Spirit, it's it's not the argument I want you to think about today. I just want you to think about how important it was to those apostles that the believers understood the Holy Spirit was part of their walk. And so whether you anywhere on the church spectrum of denominations, you should not be able to ignore the fact that the Holy Spirit is integral to the life of a believer. And so we're going to open with a wonderful passage of scripture this morning. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 8, one of the most magnificent chapters in the Bible, because after seven chapters of Paul explaining salvation, he gets to the grand verse that we, we know, Romans 8 verse 1, and he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's reached this point where we now understand that in Christ Jesus we will not be punished for our sins. So there is no fear of being rejected by God. There is no need to perform religious works in order to justify yourself. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's, it's a very great milestone that he reaches in his argument at that point. And then we continue from there today because most times when you reach that point, you have to stop and just bask in it for about a year or so just understanding the magnificence of this salvation. But Paul goes on and he starts talking about how it affects you then. How does knowing that you are justified, knowing that you are accepted, knowing that you are saved because of Jesus alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, and all those wonderful solas. Well, he goes on, he says in, in Romans 8 verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So there's something of the fulfillment of the righteous requirements of the law that's accessed by the Spirit. For the believer, not by your diligence, not by your own effort and righteousness, but it's by the Spirit when we walk 
according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Do you set your mind on the Spirit? That's capital S, the Holy Spirit. Do you meditate, contemplate, consider the Holy Spirit as a believer? So this is something that we should be doing because on that path there is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So now Paul is writing with a kind of, he's phrasing this in a test. It's a test. If you're a real believer, then you, in fact, have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So when you belong to Jesus, when you become a Christian, you, you receive the Spirit. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. These are powerful statements and we sometimes read over them fast, but we should actually contemplate that the Holy Spirit is in effect this, this life in us that God's given us as a result of us receiving the righteousness that Christ put upon us, imputed to us. So we get this righteousness, but with that we get the Holy Spirit quickening us, who should in a sense be dead spiritually because of our sins, but we're now alive because of the Spirit. So he who, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Do you know what dwells means? It, it's like where you live. It's abiding, staying. It's not a fleeting coming and going. And so the Spirit of God dwells in you as a believer. So then, brothers, we are debtors. In other words, you, you, you owe a response. You, 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 you can't pay for this, but you owe something. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's another deep fact about how you wrestle with sin and temptation and your, your own flesh, your own sinful nature. It's not just in your own strength. How do you put to death the deeds of the body, meaning the sinful urges of, is it by trying really, really hard? Doubling your efforts every time you mess up? No, we fail when we try in our own strength, but when we access something of the Spirit of God, we find strength that's outside of us. It's greater than us. And so it is by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Then you live. We truly live. In Romans 8 verse 14, which was perhaps the only verse I was going to read to you from this passage, but I chose to give us the whole passage because I'll risk having a long sermon for the sake of more scripture. Romans 8 verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
That means children. It's, 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 it applies to you too. If you're a woman, don't be put off by the term son. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's referring to how you serve under the law with fear of condemnation for your sins. No longer slaves to sin or slaves to a self-generated righteousness. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. As a real believer, sooner or later, you will find that you're concerned with following God. And the verses we just read say something very important about your walk with God. All who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Paul writes it that way around to present it as a kind of a test. You will know you're a true believer when you live a life that prioritizes the Spirit and puts to death the flesh. That's a test in a way that if you, of course, if you're a believer, You'll be led by the Spirit of God. That's what he's saying. But he puts it the other way around. He says, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. The context shows us that we're either listening to and following after the cravings of our sinful nature, or we are, by the Spirit of God, putting to death the deeds of the body and being led by the Spirit. So last week I was speaking about worship is a value of the church and I mentioned that account where Jesus met the, the Samaritan woman at the well and um, he eventually explains the worshipping um, no longer going to be in the temple but in spirit and truth so it won't be located at a holy site some city or some physical temple but it would be replaced by the people of God who are collectively being built into a temple and whose bodies as individuals are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now I mentioned that, and I'm going to make a point out of this today, so stick with me for a few minutes. But in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16 it says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they, will, they shall be my people. Beautiful verse where it says that we collectively as the people of God are the place for the presence of God. That's what it's really saying. That the, the place where you'll find God is amongst the people of God. He should be kind of among them because that's his desire to be in relationship with and in fellowship with us. It's not religious ceremonies. It's not human traditions. It's the presence of God with the people of God. That's what this is referring to. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 extends it to the individual believer. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So I'm not going to worry about the second part, but just think about that for a moment. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. So that means if you're a Christian and you in this room, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of you. God has indwelt you by His Spirit. So now where you, you go, 
you should have this sense of God is with me. He's not just there at a distance where I pray up to Him far away, but He's here with me and in me. It's, it's deep, it's profound, it's intimate. It should radically affect the way you live, the way you think, the way you act. The Holy Spirit is God. God is one God existing eternally in three persons. And God Himself indwells us in the person of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't matter if you're the least Pentecostal believer on earth. He's still in you. It doesn't matter if you are the most conservative, afraid of, you know, speaking in tongues or weird manifestations. He is in you by the Holy Spirit. This is a fact of Scripture. So whether you, you're not interested in the Holy Spirit because of maybe the excesses of the charismatic movement and you saw some kind of abuses on television of how the church used the Holy Spirit as a tool for kind of entertaining people or just giving people a show, that's, that's all irrelevant. Scripture is relevant. And Scripture says the Holy Spirit is in you. From Scripture we understand this happens from the moment of being born again or regeneration. When you believe in Jesus and become a Christian and you invite Jesus into your heart, He comes by the Holy Spirit and lives in you. So I'm saying it like this because God the Spirit indwells you as a, if you like, a fulfillment of a promise from Jesus to be with you. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. The Father is in glory in heaven and he has sent his spirit we also know and see this in scripture that the holy spirit is poured out upon people at pentecost the holy spirit came down as tongues of fire and rested on many they received special unction which means like a supernatural prompting and enabling and spoke in foreign languages how i wish i could speak malagasy without having to try and learn that would be way better than just incoherent tongues. I mean, personally, I dig it, but God didn't give it. So, for me, that, that's like, um, not, yet. not yet, says Aina. <laughs> and other people say, just go back to school, man. At that time, Peter speaks and he says to the people, around this is what to explain what's happening he says this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel and in the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what Joel wrote to God's people, to Israel. Clearly, Pentecost was not the complete fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. There's uh, sun being turned to darkness and moon to blood and there's fire and it's, it's, that's clearly speaking about cataclysmic 
eschatological, you know, end times drama. But nevertheless, part of it was fulfilled. The Spirit being poured out, Peter starts by saying, This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit. So very much like Jesus, when he entered the temple and he found Isaiah 61 and started reading that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to proclaim good news. And on he went, the, he stopped, Jesus stopped right short when he said to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He stopped before saying, and the day of vengeance of our God. So Jesus was a bit more on the ball than Peter. Peter just rambled on with Joel's prophecy from the part that was being fulfilled right there and then to the part that will only be fulfilled right before Jesus returns. And Jesus separated it nicely and said, it's the year of the Lord's favor. This is today fulfilled in your presence, he says to the people in the temple or the synagogue, I should say. So here we've got a very similar break in the prophecy of Joel. So so clearly Pentecost was not the complete fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. However, it made me start thinking what? That's why the Jews didn't recognize it. They weren't expecting partial fulfillment of prophecies. They were expecting the whole thing to come about in one go. And that's why to a large extent when the Jews realize their mistake, there'll be a massive ingathering of Jews into the kingdom of God through Jesus. In other words, many will turn to Christ when they realize that their simple mistake was that they thought prophecies would all be fulfilled in one moment, when in fact there's a, a present partial fulfillment of some of the prophecies. But what did this prophecy mean to Israel? What did it mean when they heard, In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in those days I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Well, if you think about Old Testament Israel, there were very strict boundaries. There was the law, there was the temple, there were the priests. The priests were male. Uh, there were prophets. Most of the prophets, uh, some prophecy came through women, but most of the prophets who were kind of like recognized as these big Dudes like Elijah, they were men. And there was this select few, they were the great guys you read about, and the rest were just kind of like, not really mentioned. So they were the people of God, but they were, what was the real issue under the, under the stories was that the people of God were actually not entrusted with the words of God. They were not given the presence of God. They were separated from the Holy of Holies by a very thick curtain. Moses went up the mountain and the people trembled from a distance. And so what do you think the scripture meant to the, to the Jews? It meant there's a time coming that's not about visions and prophecy primarily about this idea that you could have a fancy gift to show off like look at me, I've got a ministry and uttering prophetic words, or I can lay hands on the sick and I've got the gift of healing. It wasn't about that for them. It was about the fact that everyone would have access to and enjoy the presence of God. Yeah. 
That's, that's how the Holy Spirit was understood in the Old Testament. When you examine the role of the Spirit in the Old Testament, He was identified with the presence of God. Whether fire or cloud or thunder or wind or smoke filling the temple, all these are supernatural manifestations of the presence of God. When Moses said to God he was seeking his presence so that people would know God is with Israel, Moses said, if you don't go with us, I'm not going because how will people know if you're not with us? Moses was talking about something mighty, the presence of God and power. And to those people in the Old Testament reading that prophecy of Joel, they were thinking, we're all going to have it. It's not just reserved for priests. It's not just reserved for big-name prophets like Elijah. But we'll see visions. We'll hear things from God. We'll experience Him dealing with us personally. We'll walk with Him like His, his, like his elite, his, his prophets and priests do now. We'll all, the male servants, the female servants, the old men, the young men, Dreaming dreams, seeing visions, having prophecies. God speaking. God speaking to us in, across the board. It's, it's, a, it's a fantastic picture. And it's something that they were anticipating would be so cataclysmic that it would be at the end of the age. That it would be accompanied by the moon turning to blood, the sun being darkened. But the fact is it was fulfilled, that part of it, at Pentecost, that because of Jesus dying on the cross he took away the barrier between us and the father and the, re the result is we become righteous and we receive the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit in the Great Commission Jesus spoke to his disciples and said I am with you always to the end of the age I'm with you always to the end of the age so he's sending his his disciples out he's saying go and baptize you know make disciples and he says and I'm with you always to the end of the age and in Acts he said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you so you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you so now I'm going to state in a kind of a paragraph what this value is to us as a church as a church we are a people who believe that we have the presence of God in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we believe there is power in God to live this life by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And there is power by the Spirit to be witnesses to Christ, witnesses of Christ to the lost. So I'm saying it, being led by the Spirit is one of our values as a church and should be a value of every believer. The Holy Spirit plays a special role in the life of every believer. He indwells us from regeneration. Do you care? Why should you? Well, you see, if you understood what Israel would have understood in Joel's prophecy, you would be deeply concerned because it's a glorious statement that God himself is going to dwell with us, that he will be among us and he will be in us. And that's already part of this gospel, part of this salvation, part of this faith journey for you and me. The Holy Spirit indwells you. It has to utterly radicalize your thinking about yourself. You're no longer just the you you were before you got saved. 
You're you plus God Himself indwelling you. You're you to go and live in this life, but also God is so intimately woven into your life that you could never live it the same way again. You could not consider doing something wicked without feeling the Holy Spirit start to stir your conscience up and say, no, don't, don't do that. You, you couldn't harbor unforgiveness for long without the Holy Spirit saying, be careful of that. That's a seed that will lead to bitterness. And just deal with it. Who's that, that grudge? I'm not happy you're holding that grudge against that person. The Holy Spirit is in us. He works. He lives in us. We have this as believers. And the Holy Spirit is not the lesser third part of God. He is God. He is God. God, when He's described in His freest, fullest form in Scripture, the Scriptures say God is Spirit. He's invisible. He's incorporeal, meaning He doesn't have a body. That's what made the Incarnation such a spectacular miracle that God could take on flesh. But God Himself is Spirit and He is omnipresent. It's everywhere. And now He's by His intention to be with us, He has come by His Holy Spirit and taken up residence inside of us. He lives in us. In response to this, we have to learn, therefore, to seek, to hear, to want to hear, to feel, to respond to the Holy Spirit, to guard peace with Him. He does speak to our spirits inside of us. We've read that this morning. Romans 8 verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit Himself, He's a person. He bears witness, meaning He testifies, He confirms, He agrees with our spirit that we are children of God. Where does your assurance for salvation come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit saying, yes. What my word says is true. What Jesus did is effectively saving you forever. You are a child of God. You're adopted. You can cry, Abba, Father. All of those convictions, assurances, come from the Spirit of God who is in us. So the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. So Jesus, when He said to His disciples that He was on His way out of planet earth he prepared them and in John 16 verse 7 he said I'll read from John 16 verse 7 nevertheless I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away the helper will not come to you there's helper with a capital H in the Greek it's parakletos and that word means the one who comes alongside to strengthen and comfort if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So Jesus says to the ones he's been leading and teaching and investing in and commissioning, he says to his disciples, I'm going to the Father, but I'm going to send you the Helper. And when the Helper comes, he's going to continue to speak to you, to lead you, to, to guide you. He's going to be the one that you should be really grateful because he is me. That's how Jesus would I and the Father are one, He and the Spirit. And the Spirit declares only what He hears from the Father and Jesus. God is one God. So Jesus is effectively saying, though He, as the Son of God, will be seated at the right hand of the Father, it's going to get much better because in the flesh He could only hang out with about 12 guys. But in, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is with every believer. So who is the Holy Spirit to you? Scripture, He's the Comforter, the Counselor, the Breath of God, the Fire, the Teacher, the Guide. There are so many pictures of the Holy Spirit. But He's a person, the third person of the Trinity, not lesser, just makes less of Himself. He just draws attention to the Son and the Father that they would be worshipped and glorified. But we can see in Scripture that he can be resisted. When Stephen preached in Acts chapter 7, in Acts chapter 7 verse 51, Stephen said, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Condemning the legalistic, pharisaical people who, who basically called themselves the followers of God, but they weren't at all open to the Spirit of God. They weren't listening to His voice. They were pursuing their own agenda. And Jesus said, you resist the Holy Spirit. Now that implies the Holy Spirit has a mission and an agenda or a direction in which He's trying to take things. And they're pushing in the opposite direction. That's still true today. The Holy Spirit has an agenda and a purpose and a direction in which He wants to take your life. And you may or may not resist Him. See, we are free beings. And uh, though we're not supposed to, we choose sometimes to do the thing that we're not supposed to do. So He can be resisted. He can be grieved. In Ephesians 4 verse 30, Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So there's this Ephesians 4 verse 30, the Holy Spirit can be offended, grieved, disappointed, vexed, disturbed. It's not that you can hurt God. You're not putting Him in a place of pain and anguish like suffering. You're not that strong. But for sure, God can be deeply disappointed in some of His children's actions. And so in the context of Ephesians 4, you see the, the immorality and the strife and the discord. And it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. By whom... You were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is also a, a mark or a seal or a deposit proving God's ownership of your life till the very end, to the day of redemption, till when Jesus comes back for His church and takes us to be with Him. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He can be grieved. How do we grieve Him? In various ways. I'm pretty sure ignoring and not wanting to be led by the Spirit is grievous to God. That's right. 
Just think how your spouse would feel if you just don't want anything to do with them. That's not relationship. That's not love. So God comes and He loves us and He gives us His Spirit and then we go on with our lives, ignoring the Holy Spirit. That's, that's grievous. In fact, I saw something just recently that I want to share with you in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 3 to 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. What does Paul say in Romans 5? God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when the Holy Spirit indwells me, it's not just that I think of Him there as a, um, a conscience watchdog, like, don't sin, careful Kim, you're about to do something I don't approve of. No, the Holy Spirit isn't the condemning voice of the law written all over again. The Holy Spirit is actually the love of God poured into our hearts. The love of God. He's the, he facilitates us experiencing the love of God. So when you feel the presence of God along with that affirming, overwhelming love that you feel when you ask God for it, it's the Holy Spirit that's mediating that to you. It's the Holy Spirit that's making you consciously aware of the love of God. Shouldn't we be delighted to have the Holy Spirit? He's not the guide that's like watching you. No, 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 stay on the line. Stay on the line. No, he's doing it like this. Man, I love you. You're my son. I love you. You're my son. I love you. You're my daughter. And he's steering you towards God by winning you with his affection. Not just some kind of condemnation because there is no condemning. Whenever the Holy Spirit convicts, it's a call toward God. It's not a condemnation or rejection that would turn you away from God. So even when you've sinned and messed up, the devil comes and says, you've blown it all, God hates you and he'll never talk to you again. And the Holy Spirit to him, you might have grieved when you turn back to him, he comes slowly, gently and says, that was hurtful, but I love you. You did something out of line, come back to me. That's our conviction. I feel guilty. But there's a difference between hopeless guilt that condemns you and guilt that just says, I know what I did was wrong. I sinned against you, God, and I'm sorry. And the Holy Spirit brings us conviction, not condemnation. It's amazing to me that if you had to study the, the nature of God and how it's revealed in His Holy Spirit, that you could really, like this text says, through the Holy Spirit... The love of God's poured into our hearts. You could really understand it like a, a song I once listened to from Christian music from the 80s, like most of my music. Um, and with Jesus going back to, you know, ascending and going to heaven, the singer was singing, Tell me you're coming back soon and longing for Jesus' return. Then he mentions at some point when you left, when you went to be in heaven and now we're in a sense waiting for Jesus' return. The singer said, when you left, you left behind your heart. That's the Holy Spirit. 
When God left, He never left us. He left His heart with us. The very essence of His love, His presence, His being is in us, in the Holy Spirit. So now how do you feel about the Holy Spirit in your life? One, you want to know God more? Become more sensitive to His presence in your life. You want to experience more of God's power? Become more careful and tender in your conscience so that you can honor God in your life. And then say, God, I want you here in this. I need you now in this. You're going to go into a conversation with someone and you know it's going to be tricky. Don't look at your own skill as a negotiator. Just say, God, I need you to guide me by your spirit. And you talk and you talk and you speak with faith that God is with you, leading you. See, he's this good at leading. He gets it right when we ask him to. It, he directs the church. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Holy Spirit is the one who's directing the church. He's choosing who goes where and who does what. If you're a, a, a missionary on the purposes of God, it's the Holy Spirit who spoke to you and said, go to Madagascar, even if it was through some movie. <laughs> That's just a joke. Anyway, hope it wasn't a movie, but even if God used a movie, great. It's the Holy Spirit who stirs our hearts and challenges us and sets us apart and anoints us, empowers us, convicts us, guides us. In Acts 15 verse 28, Acts 15 verse 28 and 29 we read, It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you'll do well. Farewell. So this is the end of a massive council in uh, Jerusalem about the, the, the church in other areas in the Gentile world. How much of the old law should we put on these guys and the it seems right to us and the Holy Spirit that you just stay away from that voodoo stuff with blood and you know sacrifices and stay sexually pure and that's, that's good enough. Farewell. It's like I'm not trivializing how the apostles got together and worked out how to answer the questions that were brought to them. But the point I'm making there is scripture says it's the Holy Spirit that was guiding their wrestle over how to respond in counsel to the church. The Holy Spirit was keeping them free from the law, directing them towards God. So, Acts 16, verse 6. Let's read Acts 16, verse 6 to 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Yeah. What? They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That's a bit tough. Poor Asians got it late, I guess. Later it went. But right there, the Holy Spirit is leading individual believers in their mission, in their decisions about where to go and where to preach. I don't know why they weren't allowed to go to Asia then. It wasn't God's time yet. I don't know how the Holy Spirit forbade them, but they knew it was the Holy Spirit. And sometimes when you walk with God, after a few years, you start to know when it's God. 
you don't have a good explanation, maybe they didn't write it down because there isn't a formula, sometimes you just know this is not what God wanted, this is what God wanted. But you know by experience, by practice, by repetition of learning to discern and recognize the voice of God in your life. It starts with a willingness and a hunger to have that happening in your life. So passing by, sorry, at verse 7, and when they'd come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So this time they even tried. They attempted to go into Bithynia. I just see this picture like in the movies, you know, glass wall, you don't see it there. It's like, just, I'm trying to go this way, but God says no. They tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. It didn't maybe work out exactly like that, but the point I'm making is the Holy Spirit is leading people, he's, he's directing, he's in charge. So actually the Holy Spirit isn't just this like gentle, quiet voice, he's the one who forbids something and the one who stops something. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See the vagueness of it? You get a vision, you don't really know what's going on, but it seems like the thing is, it, it, concluding that, we came to the conclusion God called us to preach the gospel to them. And there's a kind of measure of uncertainty when you follow God, but there's also this guarantee he's, He is taking you where He wants you to go if you, if you want to follow Him. So the, those are just some, some scriptures I'm wrapping up now. We know also the Holy Spirit is the one who gives gifts and produces fruit in us. To me those are almost like the, the other and also's. So often the church has made it all about the gifts or, you know, you taught about the fruit of the Spirit, but then finally you learn that the tree doesn't really put a lot of effort into bearing fruit. It just bears fruit if it's in good soil. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know, all those things start, you start to think, well, all I need to do is stay close to Jesus. But actually the, the greater theme I wanted you to get is that the Holy Spirit is the person who indwells you and you should work out your faith by listening to and being led by the Holy Spirit. So in all these situations we see the Holy Spirit is an integral, essential, vital part of the life of a believer. So my encouragement to you is to learn to sense, to listen, to feel and walk with God through a faith assured conviction that the Holy Spirit is in you. You must believe that He is in you and start listening to His voice. Learn to feel in your spirit when the Holy Spirit is warning or cautioning or counseling. He will never contradict the Word of God. He, he may very well shine light on the Word of God as you're reading it and make something more important to you than something else. So you feel like God is speaking to you. He probably is. If you're not sure, what do you do? You write it down and you wait and you pray and you give God time to speak more clearly. But he speaks. He may stir your conscience or call you to repentance or he may demand you to forgive or he may prompt you to pray. The Holy Spirit is doing all these things in our lives. We should be valuing every sense and unction we can feel of his presence and his leading.
That's the kind of people we should be as a church. We are a people who value deeply being led by the Holy Spirit. The band can come up. So let's... Let me maybe ask you if you'd like to experience more of God's leading, more of His Holy Spirit's power in your life, more of a sensitivity to Him. The way to receive something is to ask for it and then believe. So if let's, let's do a response. We can all stand because I'm not going to single out just the three guys who really want to respond. But if you're one of the guys who wants to respond, if you're one of the people here who wants to respond to what I've been sharing, let's respond together in asking God to make us more aware of His presence in our lives, to make His voice more clear, to, to make His Spirit more real to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, standing in Your presence, we want to thank You for the gift of Your Holy Spirit, that You Yourself have come to indwell us by Your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, this morning we want to acknowledge that You are in us. As we have believed in Jesus, You have taken up residence and You dwell in the innermost part. So God, we ask You that we would become more aware of Your presence, more aware of the voice of Your Spirit, that we would be sensitive to His nudging and prompting, His convicting, His calling, His leading and guiding, and His comfort. When we need Your embrace, God, when we need Your love to surround us like a hug, may we know Your love through Your Holy Spirit. When we want to know that we belong to You, Holy Spirit, won't You witness with our spirits that we are sons and daughters of God, that our spirit would cry out, Abba, Father, I am loved, I am accepted. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do more of that work in every one of us to reassure us of our adoption, to comfort and strengthen us, to lead and guide us, and to make us a people who know the voice of God and His presence and power. In Jesus' name, let's worship God together.